Hello and welcome to Embodied Astrology. My name is Renee Sills. I'm a consulting astrologer, astrology teacher, and somatic educator. I'm interested in the ways astrology helps expand conversations around embodiment, art, process, politics, and more. In this special episode, I'm talking with Evian Whitney about embodiment and technology, the evolution of sensual and sexual identities, non-binariness, asexuality, feminism, and sexuality, and of course, astrology. We'll be considering all of these themes in relation to current astrology and Evian's natal chart. Evian Whitney is a sexuality doula, sex educator, and sensualist. Since 2011, their work has focused on decolonizing, unshaming, and liberating sexuality at the intersections of identity, trauma healing, pleasure, and embodiment. Evian is the author of Sensual Self, Prompts and Practices for Getting in Touch with Your Body, a self-guided journal that will help you prioritize your pleasure and come home to yourself through your senses. They're also the host of the Sensual Self podcast, which is a wonderful resource for sex and sensuality education, pleasure practices, embodiment, and more. I'm releasing this episode on May 1st, 2022, the day after a new moon and solar eclipse in the sign Taurus. Taurus is often considered the earthiest of all the earth signs. It relates directly to our bodies and our sensate, sensual existence. In this way, Taurus is closely associated with pleasure, desire, and satisfaction. The outer planet Uranus is transiting Taurus between 2018 and 2016. Uranus in astrology represents queerness, innovation, destabilization, and revolution. This transit has accompanied a huge wave of interest in embodiment and somatic practices. With eclipses in Taurus and Scorpio this year, Needs for evolution and revolution when it comes to embodied autonomy, pleasure, trauma, and somatic consciousness are emphasized. Evian's work relates directly with all of these themes, and the insight that they bring around their work is necessary medicine in these times. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. First of all, let me just say thank you for being a guest on Embodied Astrology. It is a real pleasure to have you here. Oh my gosh. It's an honor, honestly, to be here. I'm really excited about our conversation. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm going to probably ask you a fair amount of questions about what it is that you do. And I feel like you're, um, you know, sometimes like there's an introduction to a guest or something like that. And I feel like that's going to unfold in the course of us talking, but I also wonder if, um, yeah, if there's any particular way that you really feel like you like to kind of introduce yourself to people or want people to know about you right off the bat? Yeah. Um, well, my name is Evian. <laughs> I think we'll start there. Um, I call myself a sexuality doula. And these days I'm really leaning into uh, my sex educator background and refining that to, or at least expanding that to be inclusive of sensuality and wanting to be like a sensuality educator. I think that that is an aspect of our sexuality that is really important um, that not a lot of people talk about. So I'm really jazzed about this space that I'm in, um, really defining that not even just within my work, but within my own personal process, like learning who I am as a sexual being or a sensual being and like learning, learning what my body can do and learning what my body feels. And yeah, I, I there's so many things. 
there's so many things, but I'll, I'll just, I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I feel like you're also a person and I identify like this too, like that you bring a lot of different streams together and that you're also like knowledge hungry, you know, and like, you're just probably going to keep learning and maybe changing the name of what it is that you do and how yes. it is that you do that for a long time. So good to meet you today. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. It's totally that I've been thinking about that a lot as I get older and I'm starting to add different labels and, um, descriptors of who I am, like really embodying those things. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm literally transforming every single day, you know, um, mm -hmm. and there's always something new for me to discover. And I am very hungry. Like I'm always wanting to learn more. Like I have this imperative to, to evolve. And I think mm -hmm. that that is really reflected in my work. I try not to make it so apparent because then it could get a little scattered, but yeah, my, my work is, I think, um, an expression of the constant work that I'm doing on myself personally. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel you. So yeah, I first came into contact with your work. Um, I believe it was in 2016 uh, when you were also living in Portland where I am on Chinook territory. And I was producing a panel on, um, on, on sexual healing. And I was interested in talking to people about their journeys with healing through sexuality. Um, and so you were referred to me by some of the folks at um, Shebop at the feminist uh, sex store yeah. here. Um, and I, I remember we had a couple of back and forths and it didn't quite work out for you to be on the panel at that time. And then as it happens, you know, it was like, I know my life was in a big space of transition at that time and I lost track of you for a while and then came back in contact with your work last year and was just astounded to see what you had built and this like incredible, I want to call it a ministry. Like that's kind of what it feels like to me, mm. you know, that, that you're really creating a lot of sanctuary and healing space for people through embodiment and uh, uplifting the energy of pleasure and sensuality and sexuality and desire um, and healing. So yeah, it's been real cool to kind of come back into orbit with you and um, in, into contact with all the things that you're doing. And I feel like you're doing a lot. And um, yeah, before I get into all that, I want to say that this morning I was listening to a recent podcast episode of yours when you talked to Adrienne Marie Brown, mm. um, who's a big inspiration for me. And it was, it was such a pleasure to hear the two of you in conversation together. Yeah, I loved that conversation. It was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I felt like I learned a lot and that listening to both of you and the ways that you both frame your journeys um, and wisdom around embodiment and pleasure and activism uh, really helped me like remember and clarify deep truths that have also felt resonant for me in my journey. And mm. it's like, I, one thing that I really love about you know, there's a lot to say about living in 2021. <laughs> but one thing that I love about living at this time is that there's this kind of um, chorus and like synchronicity, I feel like with a lot of folks like coming to certain wisdoms through various different paths and like yes. speaking, yeah, speaking to this remembering. And, and then when I was, 
um, I was reading your workbook that you sent me and um, in the beginning of it, you know, you have this offering around like tuning in with relationship to technology and you're, you've made this workbook to be tactile and sensory and like to right to bring people into this bodily process. And all that to say is like, I was preparing for this conversation today and we were emailing and we were gonna get together on Zoom. And I was like, I haven't ever even met this person in real life. Like, I don't know how they smell. I don't know how tall they are. <laughs> and I feel like a friend, but then this distance and I have a lot of questions about technology. Anyway, I'm like, how do you feel about you know, coming into this space and is there anything, I guess, that you want to like offer at the beginning of this podcast as we come into this conversation, either for listeners or for us together to like help us ground in this time and through this medium? <laughs> yeah, that's so real. I think about this a lot as someone who is really putting a lot of focus on sensuality and somatic work, like, I mean, kind of touching back to the scattered nature of all the things that I'm interested in. I got really, really inspired um, this year, at the beginning of this year, really to study somatic work and to really dive deep into the deeper realms and nuances and landscapes of the body and the, the feelings and sensations and emotions and stories and traumas. Like I really in my work, I, I, I think my education has been focused on the body through sex and pleasure and orgasm. And, you know, I sort of regret that the other realms and experiences of being in the body, I didn't really explore all that much. And so I'm, I'm in this really exciting time thinking about um, the ways that my body inhabits space and the things the, the information that my body is constantly taking in and the information that my body is trying to give to me, as well as this really weird kind of contradiction that I'm rubbing up against around the work that I do and the podcasts that I have and the social media presence that I have, it's all very digital, you know? So mm -hmm. like on the one hand in my personal life, I'm really trying to ground myself into my body and even ground myself into my work in new ways where like, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this journal, because it is, it is something that I created that is outside of me. It doesn't live in the digital space. It'll be something mm -hmm. that can rest on somebody's bookshelf and they can hold and they can put in their, you know, bags and they can doodle on, like, I'm so jazzed about that. So I've been having a lot of excitement around the sensual experience of being in space with people or being, or creating space for people. Like something I'm thinking about even now is us having this conversation. Usually when I do podcasts, it's like, you know, I'm in a dark closet and like our cameras are closed or off and it's just audio. And so I've been playing with like, what does it feel like for me to actually take up space with my body and to like show up in ways that are physical, tangible, sensual, you know? Um, while also, again, that contradiction of being on the internet 
I mean, it's probably one of the least sensual places to be, <laughs> is to be on the internet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I try to do with my work is I, I try to marry those things. I don't even know if Mary is the right word, but I, I try to find a way, like, how can we have both at the same time? You know, like, how can I use the internet to help people connect to their bodies and connect to themselves? And how can I use these sensual practices that I have cooked up to get people maybe off the internet, you know, and, yeah. and to be in touch with their bodies? And this is really new territory for me. You know, I've always wanted to have my work be um, more received in the physical realm and to, you know, have these very tactile and sensory experiences with the work. I mean, right before COVID happened, I was just starting to get into this groove of doing like speaking events and Mm -hmm. teaching workshops and then COVID happened. And so, you know, kind of like threw off my groove, but now it's like, okay, this is an invitation for me to explore what is possible here, you know? And, um, yeah, lots, lots of good stuff in there around boundaries and (laughs) making sure that, you know, I'm able to hold space for myself, um, as I'm exploring these contradictory spaces of being in the digital realm and also in Mm -hmm. a non-digital realm and off of the internet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All that resonates so much for me. Mm-hmm. I, I remember talking to a friend of my mom's when I was 12 or 13. Um, and the internet was a new thing. <laughs> like it was a, it was a real new thing. Oh, I remember and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was really excited about it. Um, I was definitely like an early internet proponent and, uh, my mom was pretty witchy and she had kind of witchy friends. And I remember talking to one of them and saying, I think the internet is training wheels for humans to remember that we're psychic. Mm. Um, and it's, it's been curious to me over the last several years, especially um, after getting a smartphone. And then also, especially since Instagram, yeah. um, where I've developed relationships with the internet and with social media in particular, that feel like simultaneously so generative and life-giving because I'm coming into contact with like what I feel to be true kin like as a you know I'm a person that I felt lonely a lot of my life and I'm like I have all these like kind of bizarre interests and I feel like I don't always find community so easily um And then it's like being on social media sometimes I'm like, oh, this is like Hogwarts. Like here are all these other (laughs) magical people. (laughs) And like, wow, oh my gosh, like how exciting is that? Um, But then at the same time, my relationship to my devices and to these platforms like can feel really addictive and can feel um, very dissociative. Um, Yeah. I, I feel that so much. And I, I wrestle with that daily, you know, it was actually, I feel like you gave me a reading at the beginning of 2021 or around, around the beginning of 2021. And one of the things that, um, you said in this reading that has rang true for me throughout this entire year was like, if you feel like you want to get off the internet sometimes, like Mm -hmm. follow that impulse, you know, like if you feel like you want to go dark and you don't really understand why, like follow that impulse. And that, um, I've, I've been really internalizing that because I've had those impulses a lot this year. Um, and and I think it's because of the work that I'm doing right now that 
is really not meant to be explored uh, with, with the gazes of other people, you know, like, right. it's meant to be solitary. It's meant to be quiet. It's meant to be private, you know, exactly. And, and that's a, that's way different from when I first started. I mean, I, I was on the internet. Um, I've been on the internet for a long time, but I mean, most people know me from, uh, a very, very old blog that I had called apricot tea, which was a, um, was a fashion blog. And so mm. fashion blogging is very much about like, here's what I'm wearing. Here's what I'm doing. You know, it was before vlogging was a thing. So it was like, mm. I would be blogging like sometimes twice, three times a day, just showing people wow. like, mm -hmm. what I'm eating and what I'm wearing and these random thoughts that I'm having. So like, that was, that was kind of my lineage. You know, I, I came mm. into the internet being like, see me, watch me, uh -huh. consume me. And, um, and that's, that's been fine. I've, I've enjoyed it, but now I'm like, what does it look like to be a little bit more quiet, you know, to wow. reserve some things for me. And that's, that's been, that's been fun to navigate. Wow. Thank you for saying all that. It, it's like, it leads me right into this question that I have, um, prepared to ask you, which is about something that's happening in your chart currently. And, um, uh, yeah, so for any listeners, uh, Evian has given me some permission to speak a little bit about their chart. And um, so I wanna just start by saying that in astrology, a lot of what astrologers do is compare the cycles of what are called transpersonal or outer planets to the cycles of what are called personal or the inner planets. And this is kind of like speaking to the relationship that we have as human beings to the context that we're arising in, which are so much bigger than us, like context of culture and time and society, et cetera. Mm. Um, so there's been a movement uh, in the heavens that some people would call Pluto and Capricorn. It's been going on since 2008, um, but particularly since 2019, it has been aspecting your chart um, really notably. And Evian has a Sagittarius ascendant, um, but you also have, I read a Placidus chart, not whole signs for any nerds out there. Um, but so you also have Capricorn in your first house and Pluto has been kind of making its transition from your first house to your second house. And this is a transition that in some ways describes a movement um, from a self-oriented existence to a movement that is a sustaining existence. Mm. And so um, one way to think about this is like, as we come into the world, we don't really have agency to sustain ourselves. Like we're very much um, dependent on other people right. and um, we need attention. You know, we need attention in order to survive. And then at some point, fairly soon we start to learn how to sustain ourselves, whether that's like picking up something tasty and like putting it in our mouths, you know, or like figuring out how to lift ourselves away from the ground. Like that's all self-sustaining energy. And so in your chart, like I could see that there's been this long-term process of transformation since 2008. That's about you really coming into sustaining yourself. And at a deeper level to sustain ourselves means that we have to feel that we are valuable and worthy enough to sustain. And so this kind of question of like, what parts of me am I investing in? Mm. Um, and how do I feel my own value? And since Pluto um, as a transpersonal planet um, kind of represents like a collective transformation, it's moving through a sign Capricorn 
that in a lot of its associations has to do with patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism, and this mm. larger kind of um, machine of institutionalized oppression. And the way that that machine is becoming so visible since, especially since 2019 and 2020, that like the workings of this machine are being really exposed in a lot of ways. And I think that's having an effect on a lot of us as individuals to see how this machine works through us. And so when I hear you talking about needing, recognizing your need to not exhibit yourself and to not objectify yourself, but to like actually really go within and take this instinct towards healing that you have and apply it in your own practice and let it transform you from the inside out. That feels like some of what this transit could do. Mm. Um, and so I'll just say a few more things and then I'm like, what are you thinking with <laughs> these images? Um, because over the last couple of weeks, we're recording on October 11th, and over the last couple of weeks, there's been all this movement in the sign Libra. And you have Libra up at the top of your chart, which is your career placement. Mm. Um, and amongst other things, one of the things that Libra can represent is the aesthetic appeal of something. Um, and over the last few weeks, Mars has been there kind of representing uh, uh, the potential for separating from certain kinds of objectification or ideals around aesthetics. Um, the sun has been there bringing consciousness and illumination of this part of your chart just in general. And then Mercury has been doing its retrograde dance. Um, and I think asking for a rethinking around value and aesthetic and relationship. And for you particularly, not only is this happening in the place of your public image and your career, but it's happening in conjunction with your natal Mercury, your natal Mercury and Libra person. Mm. And Mercury is a thinker and a writer and a speaker. And you know, that's, that's exactly what you are. You're a thinker, a writer, and a speaker. And you're really working with, I think, a lot of these, these themes. Um, so yeah, one thing that's happening in the sky right now is that these Libra placements, which are personal placements, they're moving fast, are coming into connection with that Pluto and Capricorn energy. And so a lot of folks who've been like working with these transformations for a long time, have recently been making really pivotal shifts mm. and they've been rethinking things and they've been kind of uh, restructuring the ways that they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. So I know you've been through like some major identity shifts um, very, very recently. Yeah. And yeah, I'm wondering if, if you would share any impressions that you got or things you're thinking about with that astrology. And then also if you could talk about like this shift that you've been in um, this past, I want to say it's a, maybe a, the past year or two. I'm not quite yeah. sure how long it's been going on for you. But. I would, I'd say it's, it's been the past like couple of years, but I think I've really been rooting into it more through 2021. Um, and a lot of those things, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, one of the things that came through this year, um, in a real way, although it's been something that I've been thinking about for a while is, uh, my gender identity. Um, I came out mm -hmm. as non-binary uh, in, I think it was December 2020, and I did that from a place of both just like wanting to hold myself accountable to the feelings that I have and, and to also just like really literally come out and let people know like, 
I don't want you to interact with me in this way that you have been interacting with me in. Like I am a different person and I, I would like for you to respect, respect that. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned before, it's that accountability piece where I just really needed to get out of my own head about it and, and actually make a statement that says like, okay, there's no going back, you know, because for me, my gender identity, I can very easily gaslight myself. I mean, I do this mm-hmm. with everything, <laughs> but <laughs> with, with my gender identity, it was, I, I very easily gaslit myself about like, am I non-binary enough? Am I trans enough? Is it okay that I'm coming out when I'm 33? Um, and so I felt like to come out publicly, you know, it's something that I do actually um, in my work where if I'm, if I'm chewing on an idea, a workshop or a book or a post or something like that, I can get in my head so much about like, when should I do it? How should I do it? Is it okay that I do it? And sometimes I'm just like, all right, I'm going to announce it to folks because that way, like I'm, it's out of my head and now I have to just like do the thing. And so in some ways I was, I was doing that by announcing, um, and just like really saying like, Hey y'all I'm non-binary. And I did that with so much trepidation. I mean, it was, it was quite a bit. It was, it was a lot for me to do that. And it was, it was so warm and I was welcomed so deeply by, my community and and even I even heard folks be like I thought you came out as non-binary years ago <laughs> so that was <laughs> that was really cool especially because of you know the gaslighting nature of my brain um so yeah I when I came out I knew that I had to shift a lot of things about what what I was doing in terms of the work that I do and one of those things was um my podcast my podcast was called the sexually liberated liberated woman Um, it's been called that since like 2015. And I realized that one of the things that was keeping me distant from that as a project was the name. I just didn't feel Mm -hmm. like the more that I, I connected to who I really was and, um, the full spectrum of who I really was, I realized like, oh yeah, the sexually liberated woman doesn't really include me. It includes a lot of other people, but it doesn't include me. And so that's actually something that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and I'm not sure if this tracks with the transits that you mentioned, but feeling like, you know, I've done this work in a lot of ways for myself, but I've also done this work for other people. Mm -hmm. And I've put a lot of people, um, their experiences, their stories, their traumas kind of on the forefront for me, um, which is kind of my nature, but also, I think it's just the way that I have been taught that I have to do. And so this, this space that I'm in with my work right now is what does it look like for me to be the center of my work? You know, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I tapped into that a lot within like the first few years of the work that I was doing. Like when I first got started being a sex educator, it was very much about like, who am I, who do I want to be? And like, you're allowed to come join me on this journey, but like, I'm not an expert. Don't listen to what I have to say. (laughs) And then, you know, things happened and um, the work just grew and expanded in ways that I just did not expect. And I think I kind of bumped myself off of my access a little bit. And so by claiming my non-binary identity, by like changing the name of my podcast, it wasn't just about um, doing something that would make me feel affirmed in my gender identity. It was also like, I'm including myself into my work. Like I'm not, this isn't just for other people. It's also about me as well. Um, 
And that's, that's a theme that keeps coming up. I mean, recently kind of, I would say that I came out as asexual or being on the ace spectrum, which for me, I, it feels different than being, being non-binary for me. For me, being non-binary is very personal and very intimate. Whereas being like coming out as asexual, I'm like, this is so dumb. I hate that I have to do this. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it just feels very much like, can't we all just have our own nuances and be where we are? Like, I don't know. I just, it's something that's still very alive for me as I am still dealing with some, um, fallout from a post that I published on Instagram about ace phobia and not wanting people to perpetuate ace phobia. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I kind of, uh, got away from your intentional question, but that's, that's oh no, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of those things were things that I was, I mean, I was definitely thinking about your podcast name change. I know that, you know, I've been following you in this last year. And so I've seen those, um, public coming out moments of, you know, coming out as non-binary and then coming out as asexual. And I have to say that, you know, I'm, you have Venus in Virgo. You have a lot in Virgo. I, I also do. have, <laughs> I have Venus in Virgo and, um, one of the ways that I personally have felt that placement is as like a very palpable um, lack of connection to what society has prescribed me to be as feminine, yes. uh, as a person that was assigned female at birth. And I don't particularly have an argument with femininity or being related to and with femininity. But I also, it doesn't end there for me. And, you know, anytime, and I've, I felt like I've experienced this a lot growing up in the community that I did, which was a very, in some ways, like very new agey community. Mm. And there was a lot of talk within the healing world about like the divine feminine and the divine masculine, but the way that it was represented and enacted was really along the lines of a very strong gender binary and a segregation between people with different genitals. That's right. And I felt so enraged by that. And like, like I did not resonate for me at all. And then, yeah, I've also kind of felt like, I don't know, I, I just, you made a post about asexuality a few months ago. I feel like it was in spring or summer of 2021. And you introduced me to Angela Chen's book in that post and your post was so powerful for me to read. And it was basically, you were saying like, you'd been rethinking sex and you'd been naming things like slow dancing sex or, you know, different different forms of intimacy. And reading your words allowed me to ver- that verify and validate for myself that the experiences that I've had throughout my life are real. Mm. And that my particular knowing that I'm a person that really enjoys like romance and intimacy, but that what a lot of people consider to be sex in terms of like genital stimulation and penetration, like isn't always the thing for me. Right. And it takes a lot for me to want that and to sincerely be able to stay with it and continue wanting it. And I've experienced so much shame for that and a feeling of like, Oh God, like my, you know, my hormones are probably off, like some, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like some shit is wrong with me. And so reading your post, I was like, fucking thank you. You just changed my life. You just freaking changed my life with your post. I want you to know that. 
Oh, thank you. That, that delights me to hear. And also I resonate so much with what you were saying about kind of this, like, and you didn't say this, but for me, what I heard is like, um, feeling like, am I okay? Like, is, is it okay that I am, I have these experiences because we, our world is so sex obsessed and by sex obsessed, I'm talking about like a specific kind of sex. It's not like sex is the word that I see it as, which is like anything can be sex if your body is turned on enough, you know? Right. Um, but sex as like penis, vagina, penetration, orgasm. Uh, and I've, ne- that's never been my jam. Um, and there's many reasons for that, I'm sure, but it's never been my jam. And I've also in my work, I've seen a lot of people feel like it's not their jam either. You know, like they're Mm -hmm. trying to keep up with the Joneses, but they're not even sure like that they even want to be friends with the Joneses, but everyone (laughs) tells them like, this is what you should do. And this is what you should have. And these are the experiences that you should have. And if you don't have them, there's something wrong with you. You need help. You need therapy. You need to heal yourself deeper. And those are a lot of messages that I enforced upon myself when I started doing mm-hmm. this work. Um, and so this, this realization of being asexual, of being on the a spectrum, it's almost like, duh, but also, wow, like that, what that, it just like shook, it's still shaking the foundations of so many things that I've believed about myself personally, and also about sex as a whole, you know, yeah. um, me being a sex educator and it really is radical. And it's obvious that it's radical because I'm like, people are really upset <laughs> about, uh-huh. about ace folks, you know, um, I have a lot I mean, of people it's... who are in my comments right now who are saying all kinds of crazy things about asexuality. Really? Yeah. Really? It, you know, it's so interesting to me because it's like, I feel you on the, like, this is so annoying that you even have to come out like this because it's like, what, what you're basically doing is just decentering sex from like a very sex centrist society that also puts sex in a box that is like very ableist, very monogamous, very like hetero cis normative and patriarchal and white supremacist in the fact that it has like erased a whole fucking constellation of ways of being you know universe of ways of being and said like (laughs) the one way you can have sex like you know and it's like that way of having sex is fine like it's great nothing no shade on that way of having sex it's just like there's so much more Mm -hmm. um and yeah I I kind of feel the same way with with the gender conversation you know where it's like what a travesty of language to have divided our consciousness into camps of different, you know, of difference based on genitals and, and not even based on the full spectrum of what genitals can be, but like two very homogenous examples of what they sometimes are. Yeah. I mean, I have felt so free and so liberated now that I'm able to have the scam of gender (laughs) or the gender binary lifted from my eyes, you know, and I I feel the same about sexuality, which is, you know, it's, it's a little scary for me, to be honest. I think, especially because of the work that I do and because sex sells, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, don't even get me started on the sexual wellness industry and, Mm -hmm. um, the ways that, 
yeah, capitalism is is coming into play when with things like this. It's it's no longer like have the best sex of your life because you deserve it. It's like have the best sex of your life because you deserve it. So buy our sex toy, you know? And right. like I I get it. We live in a capitalist society, so I don't want to shade anyone who who is selling sex toys. It's not that. It's just to to decenter sex and yeah. to kind of like put a kink in into the definitions that we have about sex and sexuality and to also like give people permission to decentralize sex. It's mm-hmm. making, I feel like it's making people freak out. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, it's, it's a really, and I understand it's, it's a radical thing to think about, but for me, I'm not doing it to be radical. I'm not doing it to be contrarian for me. It's like, this is, this is what feels good to me. And right. I'm noticing that it's also what resonates and feels good to other people. The idea that none of us are the same, like our bodies don't look the same, our genitals don't look the same. We don't express our genders in the same way. So why would we have sex or experience our sexualities in the same way, you know? Right, and why does it always have to be something that is a show? I mean, I think one of the things I really loved reading in Angela Chen's book, Ace, was um, kind of where, now I'm forgetting if what pronouns Angela Chen uses. She and her, yeah. She, okay. Um, so where she's basically talking about like a progression in feminist thought or a certain branch of feminism towards this idea of like, okay, we're going to be radically empowered women and have like crazy sex with a ton of people. And this is mm-hmm. what's going to define our radical empowerment. And meanwhile, that sex is objectified, it's commodified, and it's performed. And it's not really necessarily embodied all of the time. Not to say it isn't plenty of the time, but plenty of the time it's not. And so then I feel like, you know, I hear through you as a sex educator and sensuality doula, you know, that you're, t- you're asking people to feel their actual bodies. And that in all of its simplicity totally is terrifying because you might be using sex as a way to get a, get away from, you know, what, especially for people who are socialized. Well, I'm, I was about to say people who are socialized female, but then I'm going, no, it's this whole, it's this whole mess, how people are socialized into these two camps, male, female Mm -hmm. saying your, your desire should take this particular shape. And if it's not taking that shape, then something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And so all of us are out there performing outside of our bodies, like not actually listening, which is leading then to sexual abuse, sexual violence, manipulation, commodification of bodies on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And so you're asking people to feel all this, which is what happens, you know, as we try and get in touch with our own pleasure. And it's like, if my own pleasure actually is like me lying on the floor alone, how do I claim that for myself in the midst of this society that's telling me that I'm wrong for wanting that? And that's making me like a sad sack of aloneness to spend the rest of my life alone or right. something like that. Right. It, it's what's bringing, what's coming up for me is like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like girl boss culture and, mm-hmm. you know, um, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking of like women entrepreneur culture. You know, it's like there was this, there's this like resurgence of people being very proud of the fact that like, okay, I'm a woman and I'm going to be a CEO or, 
you know, your next president's going to be a woman, et cetera, et cetera. And so what's interesting about that for me is that that was kind of in response to the ways that men occupy and take up space within businesses, careers, um, and stuff like that. And my gripe with that has always been like, you know, (laughs) you want to essentially like pinkify capitalism and patriarchy Mm -hmm. by just having a woman do it. Right. And so I kind of see the same happening with sexuality. It's like, and it's been like this since the beginning, you know, like the idea that in order for you to be sexually liberated, you have to have sex like a man, just like in order for you to be a successful woman business owner, (laughs) you have to own a business and make as much money as Jeff Bezos, like a man, you know, Mm -hmm. and exhibit these abuses of power and things like that. And I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't in that frame of thought, you know, in the very beginning. I mean, I'm sure if you dig deep enough, you'll find some articles of mine that are incredibly outdated and I don't believe in them anymore because they fall in line with that, that thinking like, oh, the way to to liberate your sexuality is to just fuck like a man, you know, have lots of sex with many different people, do it from a place of um, physicality, not emotionality, um, do it from a place of maybe even dissociating from your physical body yep. and just like focusing only on your genitals. Yep. And, you know, I've, I've, I've tried that personally and it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work. And so like this realization that I'm asexual, which has been a realization that I've had for like most of my life, you know, it's just really finally claiming it very much like, you know, being non-binary it's, it's like a permission slip for me to stop being someone that I'm not. And there's Mm -hmm. so much liberation there for me that I'm, I, I feel actually in the days that I've, I have been talking about asexuality very publicly on my podcast, on Instagram, I've noticed that my body feels lighter. And I think it's, it feels very similar to when I came out as non-binary. It's like, I, I've shrugged off a lot of the baggage of performance that I felt like I had to do as a sex educator, you know, like I have to be having all kinds of sex and have amazing sex toys, like all of this. It's (laughs) like, wow, I, that doesn't resonate with me, but I can still do the work that I do and I can still do it well. And I can still champion people's pleasure and their liberation and their healing, but it doesn't have to look the same ways that I've been doing it or that other people say that we should be doing it. So that's liberating. And it's also like scary as shit. Cause it's, it's mm. very counter to what I think mm. a lot of folks are, are talking about right now. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you for doing that. And, <laughs> and, and thanks for saying that too. Cause that, I feel like that's also a good framing for another question I have for you about your chart. Um, because in your chart, so uh, you're Sagittarius rising and then you have Virgo on what's called the midheaven, and that's the highest point in your chart. And I like to think of that place in the chart as the light that's drawing your, your the, the Evian plant, you know, the, the light that the Evian plant is growing towards. Um, so up, at, up there, up in the heaven of your chart, you have what's called a stellium, which is a grouping of three or more uh, bodies. Um, and in Virgo, you have the sun, Mars, and Venus, and they're all conjunct this this place of the midheaven. Um, and just so briefly, so your sun is kind of representative of your life force and vitality and personal expression. Um, Venus is a really important planet for you. Um, 
because of where it is, it's the highest planet in your chart. And it also rules the sign Libra where your natal Mercury is. And so you as a figure that is a communicator and a um, share and uh, um, creator of thought and content and lang new language, um, Venus is the ruler of that. So Venus is up there and Venus, um, well, Venus can represent a whole lot of things, but beauty and the feeling of attractiveness and also personal value are really big ones for Venus. Um, Mars is there and Mars is again, also a lot of things, but also sometimes a symbol for sexual desire and satisfaction. Um, and so this grouping of planets is uh, square. It's 90 degrees to your ascendant in Sagittarius to your rising sign uh, where you have the planet Saturn and Uranus. Mm. And uh, one of Saturn's symbols is authority and Uranus's symbol is liberation. And so they're kind of like an interesting combo where Saturn can be quite rigid and Uranus wants freedom and they have to figure out how to work together, those two. And they're, they're right on your ascendant. So they're, in the, they're, they're kind of directly in their field of view. I would say they're like the glasses that you're wearing through your life mm. kind of. And they're shining the light of Sagittarius, which is um, really associated. I mean, I've spoken to Sagittarius in some ways as like this hunger for knowledge, but another thing that Sagittarius can be associated with is belief systems mm. and feelings of truth or right and wrong uh, can sometimes come in very strongly with Sag, especially when, when Sagittarius is aligned with one of the things that can be really aligned with, which is religion. Mm. Um, so, I don't know, you know, it, I don't know for you where you feel like certain belief systems arising from in your life, but this aspect in your chart, this square aspect, one of the ways that I could see it uh, embodying or enacting in your, in your chart is as a person that has internalized a certain set of belief systems that they've been in your full view mm -hmm. somehow as you came into your life and that they greatly shaped the ways that you were able to embody your vitality, your sexuality and your desire and feeling of attractiveness. And that part of your life's journey is to awaken to those belief systems and to liberate yourself within them. And sometimes that's gonna mean radicalizing or revolting. And sometimes that's gonna mean like really traveling far and wide and digging deep for your own truth. Mm -hmm. um, and that as you do that, then how you're consistently kind of coming into the world is through, you know, this light of Virgo, which is about healing and the body and creative intelligence. And then these placements of your body, your like actual physical, literal body, the sun, um, Venus, your beauty, you know, your charm, what you're putting out into the world. Uh, you're, you're speaking about the things you're speaking about and Mars, right? Sexuality and desire. So I don't know, that was a lot, but I'm wondering if, if you'd be willing to share with me um, about this journey of liberation that you've been on and anything that's like resonating for you with those themes and like how it began or what first made you realize, you know, that you were being confined in certain aspects um, of, of, oh, you know what? I had pulled a quote of yours. Can I read it Yeah, <laughs> from your bio? Um, so yeah, this is in a section of your, the bio that you have on your website. And you said, 
I entered this work of sexual healing and liberation from a selfish place. I wanted to better understand my sexuality and sensuality after years of being taught that ownership of those things were off limits to me, that my body was a site of temptation to myself and others, that the voice of my desire shouldn't be trusted and that I wasn't allowed to claim my wants because of the rigidity of respectability. I wanted to challenge and rewrite those narratives. I wanted to claim my sexuality as mine outside of the shame and trauma I inherited intergenerationally. Um, so, whew, yeah. Ooh, I'm like, did I write that? <laughs> you wrote that. You, you wrote that. That is on wow. your website. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so can you talk to me about this, like about this journey and, you know, your journey of awakening and liberation personally and yeah. how it brought you to this moment. Oh, it's so deep. It's so, so deep. And, you know, I'm, as you were talking about this, I was thinking like, when did I start to reject authority? And my mom always tells the story about how I was very, um, independent and, um, I, I was very curious and exploratory. It's, it's, I've always been this way, but when I, I, I started walking very young, I think I was like nine months old when I started walking. Oh, wow. And I was, I was a go-getter. I really wanted to do all the things. And I would do these things where I would like climb on things, you know, and my, and my mom would be like, Evian, you're going to fall. And I could talk by then. And I would say, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I would fall, <laughs> you know, um, but I've, I've always wanted to test the boundaries, you know, like I've always wanted to like figure things out on my own. And, um, the moment that an authority figure tells me that I can't do it, I'm like, are you kidding? Watch me. And then, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes I fail, but it's fine. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking about how, how that has been a story for me. And, you know, I, I feel like throughout my life, I've always felt that what was presented to me or what was given to me or what I was taught to do or to think or to have or to feel wasn't all that there was. And, you know, I was raised Christian in a pretty conservative home. I would say we were, I don't think my parents would describe it as this, but I felt like we were evangelical. Um, you know, I grew up signing purity contracts and, and things like that. Wow. So it was very much indoctrinated in me, this idea of respectability and, um, the ways that I'm supposed to carry myself, um, within my body, within my sexuality, within my race, you know, and I don't know, I feel like, I think one of the first things that I ever really experimented with in terms of, you know, kind of giving a middle finger to authority was, um, having sex before I was told that I should, you know, I mean, I was told that I should have sex on my wedding day, you know, save myself until marriage, very abstinence only teachings that I was given. And, you know, I, I made a choice and I won't say that that choice was totally informed, but I made a choice at that time to be like, I'm not going, I'm not going to do this. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to live by these rules that I don't understand or I don't agree with. And I think that was my first, I mean, there are many, many different ways that I, I have rebelled against um, these systems for me that were very oppressive, but that was like the major one, you know, that was like my entire religion was talking about not doing this thing. And my mm -hmm. parents were talking about not doing these things. And I was reading books about 
not doing these things. And so that was like one of the first steps that I made toward my own sexual liberation and not even just sexual, but just like the agency of my body and the agency of my choices and that I want to do it. So I'm going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why sex has been so fascinating for me and sort of a gateway through which I have liberated all aspects of myself. It's because it was billed to me as this thing that was so bad and something that you should not do while also on the other hand being like, but it's so beautiful and it's, there's so much love here and sometimes it can feel really good. So I really wanted to just like carve my own road and find, find my own meaning, like make my own meaning around these things and not necessarily take it from an authority figure. And that's been really challenging for, you know, my family to understand because, um, they, they still have the beliefs that they do that I was, that I was brought up with. And, um, there's, I mean, thankfully my mom has a lot of respect for the work that I do now. In the beginning, she was like, not keen on it at all. Um, my dad as well is, is very much like, this is not good for you. And this is not something that you should be doing. And, um, so I'm, even though I'm in this space where I'm very much defining the rules and creating my own boundaries and also, um, continuing to give a giant fuck you to all of these systems of oppression that have told me that I'm not allowed to take up the space or I'm not allowed to have these experiences or to claim my body as mine. I I'm in it and it feels like this is the way that everyone is occupying the space. And I get these reminders that like, no, it's, we're still, we're still in a world and we're still living in a culture that has these specific views and, you know, these systems of oppression are still, are still with us. Um, and I don't, I don't really know where, where it comes from. I mean, I think my, my reading with you recently really kind of shed light on like, oh, it's not like, I'm not just doing this to be annoying. (laughs) I'm like, it's like, (laughs) it's, it's literally an imperative for me to, Mm -hmm. to do this. And I, I don't know where it comes from beyond. It just feels like I want to question every single thing that this world has told me that I am. And, you know, sometimes that questioning leads me to be like, okay, that's true. There's some truth to that. Like I can, I can internalize that or I can, I can flip it on its head and and make it mine in my own way. But most of the time it's like, no, don't tell, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. It's very much like coming back to like baby Evian where I'm like, don't tell me what to do. If I fall, (laughs) sure. But like, don't tell me, don't tell me that I'm going to fall. Let me find out on my own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Thanks for that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hearing that and like also feeling my, um, yeah, Sagittarius Virgo reality as well and can resonate a lot with like not resonating with authority and mm-hmm. <laughs> not resonating with what other people are telling me to do and be and and then also having the experience that you know the more that I live into my authentic self the healthier that I feel yeah. and the the more that I feel like the relationships that I'm in can be healthy Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm at least able more, more deeply able, probably not fully able, but more deeply able to 
not perpetuate the same harm that have come from. Yeah. And a lot, you know, a lot of the harm is self-harm. It's like the ways that I hate myself, keep myself small, keep myself second guessing myself. And then of course that means I'm going to show up in my relationships, not my whole self and therefore kind of funky. Right. right. Um, and yeah, I really, I, you know, feel very just deeply appreciative of the way that you've gone about this kind of of work and sentiment and your call for deeper embodiment by really living into it yourself, you know, and making it a practice and being so generous with your own process, you know, that you're willing mm -hmm. to share this in such a public way is like, I mean, it's a true gift and it is a lot of labor to put yourself out in that way as a possibility model, you know, yeah. and Oh my God, that's so true. I was just thinking that actually, you kind of read my mind, like how, how so much of my own work has been me pioneering my own path toward what this looks like, because I don't, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people that I am inspired by. Um, but like, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, this thing that me and Jonathan did where, you know, we lived apart for a year. Like there was no manual for that. There was no like book right. that I could read that was like, this is what you do. If you have this feeling that you love your partner, you love being in relationship with them. And you also want to separate yourself from them while being right. in relationship. Like there, there's no, there so, so much of my process and so much of my journey, even when it came to sexuality and sex education. I mean, when I started doing this work in 2010, 2011, there was like not as much at all um, sex education on the internet. Like right. I really want for young folks to feel so much gratitude for the amount of work and labor that folks like me have done to create this, this, um, this container that we're in now where you have comprehensive sex education, like at your fingertips on Instagram, but there were no people that I looked up to at the time who looked like me, who had experiences mm -hmm. like me that was talking about sex in a way that resonated with me. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it takes a lot of labor it mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of trial and error as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and oftentimes in my work, even with, with, you know, this new conversation that I'm starting with myself and other people around asexuality, I'm learning like, oh, kind of the hard way that, yeah, this is the, there's, there's a lot of pain here and there's a lot of confusion here. And there's a lot of fear here that I feel like I'm having to and I'm trying not to, but internalize and like do something with, because these conversations aren't being had as much as I thought they would be. And so mm -hmm. it's not intentional for me to be a, um, um, I don't like the word pioneer. When I said it, I was like, ew, uh, I know, it's like maker. Real <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like a pioneer, but like, yeah, like colonizing the psyche. So. I don't, I don't want that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not like, it's not like I woke up one day and was like, I'm going to like flip everything that I've ever known on its head and hope yeah. to be a role model for other people to do it. It's yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's definitely not. No, easy. when you were talking, I was thinking about, um, just some images that have been kind of planted in my head recently by two different people, by two teachers. Janice Lee and Bio Kamalafe, who in their both in different ways kind of spoke to these ideas of like simultaneous fissures or rifts or like collections of possibility kind of opening up in the places where something is failing. Mm -hmm. 
you know, where it's like, oh God, I can't uphold this bullshit anymore. It's not feeling good to me. I have to try something else. This thing is failing me. So now I have to fail at it. And then when we make this, when we allow the failing to be like a collective offering, like when, when it's like, oh, it's not just a personal failing, it is a failing on all of our parts to make space for people who have this experience, you know, then like a big crack in, can open in the facade and we can all kind of like deepen a little bit more <laughs> into a state of humanness, right? Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. the work that that I feel like you're in, you know, that that I'm into of kind of working on the internet or something or like making content. Sometimes I think of it like dandelion seeds, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm just going to seed this thought and out you go and you're going to float around out there. And it's like an imperfect thought. It's just one seed. It's a little nugget and it's going to land on someone's garden patch where 5 million other seeds have fallen, you know, and let, let's just hope that the seed that I'm blowing out is going to you know, plant into something that can nourish its best potential. Yeah. And, and that, that is something that I'm learning that, especially recently, like within the last couple of years that I I have a responsibility to make sure that the seeds that I am putting out into the world are not seeds that are going to be confusing or harmful or, um, I'm, I'm also just playing around with like, it's okay for me to keep some of these seeds to myself and like, let them yeah. germinate a bit, you know? Yeah. Cause I think before in the past, I would have been like, I have a thought, let me tweet about it, you know? And it's like <laughs> not fully formed. And I'm going to be in process with this thought and also have you, you know, rebuttal back at me about this thought that I don't even fully know. Cause I, I mm-hmm. literally just thought it, it's been really interesting for me to like, take a step back and and like slow down, like slow my pace a little bit and just like keep some of those things for me while also realizing that whatever I put out into the internet, like I ha- I have to be responsible to, you know? And that's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure, especially mm-hmm. like I'm thinking about cancel culture, um, mm-hmm. which I don't even know if cancel culture is a thing to be honest with you, but um, this propensity we have to, to not giving folks grace when they yeah. make a mistake or yeah. if something is confusing, and they say it and they're sort of kind of like trying to refine it in real time. Like there's not a lot of grace put out for people like that. So I've been really, really precious and private with my process lately because I I'm like, Oh, there's, there's some things that like I want to say, and I want to express, but Mm. I can't control how other people are going to receive it. And, you know, if other people ask me follow-up questions, I don't really have the right answers for them just yet. So I'm just going to take a step back. I'm going to let this germinate in my own brain. And if, and when I'm ready to, I'll, I'll share it with other people. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. It feels, feels like important medicine in general, thinking about any kind of effort that we're doing, that's going to be some kind of effort to sustain ourselves in late capitalism, but Mm -hmm. also like, especially working in this venue. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, wanting to talk to you a little bit about this, this new creative baby <laughs> you've, you've been birthing, um, this yeah. workbook, um, sensual self prompts and practices for getting in touch with your body. Um, it's such a beautiful offering. I was looking through it and really appreciating that you are putting a book out into the world that is a guided self-inquiry and that 
you're, you know, you're offering your generosity and facilitation and you've given a beautiful introduction and a lot of prompts. I think you say, you said it's like a hundred, over 150 prompts yeah. for people to, to write their own book on what it means to be their uniquely sensual and sexual selves. And like mm -hmm. your prompts are awesome. They cover such a huge range of what sensuality and sexuality can include, but also how it, it has been in a person's life and how it's developed and their visions for how it could be. Um, so I'm wondering if you could speak to a bit around, you know, why you have created this book and what the process has been for you and your work as a sensuality and sexuality doula and sex educator um, that, that has guided you to, um, to work with people in this way of, of kind of like giving them a certain set of tools for awakening and reawakening, awakening their sensuality. Yeah, I, I like to create things that I wish that I had had like 10 years ago, you know, so mm -hmm. like this book for me was something that I wish that I, cause I spent a lot of time in Barnes and Noble, like trying to figure out who I was, what was wrong with me. Um, just to see if like, if, if I could get to the bottom of the issue that I had around my sexuality or the ways that I felt so much anxiety whenever I had sex. Like, I wish that this book was on the shelves because so many of the books that I read were very prescriptive. Like, we'll just do this. If you have this issue, do this. Like that'll solve your problem or try the sex toy or try this sex position or breathe in this way when you're having sex. And those things are great, but I wanted something that was more empowering, you know, like I didn't want to empower myself by reading a book. I wanted to empower myself by figuring out what feels good for me, you know, like what feels good for my process at this time. Maybe I can pick it back up, revisit it later when I'm a little older. Like I just wanted the process to feel alive when it came to my liberation and my healing. And so I've really created my work based off of that framework. You know, um, when I was doing one-on-one -on -one client work, uh, it's, it's very, very common for me to just like ask a whole bunch of questions, you know, like someone would be like, so what do you think I should do in order to, I don't know, have the best sex of my life. And I'm like, well, what does the best sex of your life feel like? And sometimes clients would be like, why are you just tell me what I need? You know, like, don't, don't ask, don't turn the questions back over to me, but I want to, because I want people to empower themselves. I don't ever want someone to look at me or to other authority figures and think like, well, that's what they do. So that's what I have to do. Uh, I, I want for folks to answer their own questions and get curious about their own process and kind of get into the mud when it comes to discovering who, who they are and like these really beautiful nooks and crannies of that. Um, and so that's why I wrote this book the way that I did. I really wanted to offer people little nuggets of reclamation through question and through, um, through practice and to make the questions and practices not super lofty. Cause I think sometimes, um, this work can feel really lofty, you know, it can feel, it can feel like a lot to do. And I understand why people, um, kind of relinquish their power to 
experts and stuff like that. Cause it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to be responsible for your own pleasure and your own healing and your own trauma, you know? So I want to make sure that like, I'm empowering folks to ask these questions, but not to have these questions be like, think of the, um, let me think of a question that's like really deep. Like, why do you think you have the trauma that you have? (laughs) Like no one wants to answer those questions, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, so I, I want, I want the questions to be fun. I want the process to be exploratory and curious. And, um, I was making sure that when I was in that, in that state of writing the book and writing the prompts and the practices, I was thinking about, you know, what would I have wanted to give myself during the, the, the darkest, most confusing times of me trying to figure myself out, you know? Um, and a lot of these questions were written from that place. And also just like wanting to be an invitation for folks to think about different ways of seeing their bodies and their sexuality. Um, and I had a lot of fun creating it. It was so fun to, to be in that space, to write these questions and, um, think about the practices. And also I'm like, these just feel like really fun and doable things to do. You know, like it's, I think sometimes we think that healing and liberation looks like crawling on the ground and crying and, um, (laughs) you know, having nightmares and staying up late at night and doing like intensive six hour long sessions in therapy. And sometimes it can be that, you know, sometimes it can be breath work that feels like you're exercising demons from like your great, 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 great grandfather, you know? Um, but other times that, that process of healing and liberation can feel light and it can be pleasurable, you know, and we don't have to take it so seriously. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. sensual self is like my, my invitation for people to literally figure out and like create themselves as sensual beings. Mm, I love that. I love these words, reclamation and practice. Mm. to feel like for a Venus in Virgo (laughs) midheaven person like reclamation and practice feel like such deep offerings of this kind of love yeah yeah the the Um, practice piece mm. is really important too because I I know that you know I, I could I could write a book about sensuality and have people just like hold it in their hands and intellectualize it to think about it but sensuality isn't something that we that's meant to be thought about, you know, it's something that we're supposed to embody and feel out and explore and, you know, have, have these like visceral experiences with. So I really wanted to make sure that not only was I asking interesting questions to get you to think about things, but I'm also creating a space for you to literally embody sensuality by, you know, trying it on for size and, and enjoying that process and seeing what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I was thinking about like, oh, I'm excited for this book to come out and I want to hold it in my hands and I want to work with this book. And, you know, I was thinking like, wow, okay. 150 prompts, you know, like if I really committed to working with this guide and doing 150 prompts, you know, that Evian is suggesting and, (laughs) you know, letting them in as questions for myself to reflect on and work with and like really writing that book for myself and and committing to the practice I bet that I would be a changed person on the other side you know I bet that I would really reclaim a lot of different parts of myself that's the hope I mean that's that's my sincerest wish and desire that people who pick up this book are not just going to 
like, Ooh, look at the pretty clothes uh-huh. and the quotes. Like, I, I want you to work with it. You know, this yeah. book is meant to be worked with and, and not just, you know, I was, I was thinking about this book too. There's so many different ways that a book like this has been made, you know, like having a diary or a journal where you answer questions about the day or yourself. And, um, sometimes, you know, I've, I've worked through journals like this in the past. Like I remember being 12 and having a journal where, um, I was asked questions that were really just like on the surface, like what's your favorite color today? You know? And I mean, Mm -hmm. Hey, there's, there's, there's space for that, of course. Uh, but then I remember having another journal that was like, asked me to go really deep. Like, Mm. what is, what is a fear that you have? And like, what would you, what would you want to say to that fear? Um, Mm -hmm. to like, you know, give it some space or some, some love or some kindness. Like those are, those are questions that just feel really alive, you know? And I, I feel like if, if you are able to come to this book with intention, I, I really believe that you will be changed by it. I really do. Mm. Or so I hope. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe I can ask you one of the prompts <laughs> that I, that I was like, Ooh, I wonder what Evian's answer to this would oh be. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious about what you're about to ask me. <laughs> um, you know, I was just, I was really interested just for you to hear from you today about what pleasure feels like for you today. And if there are things that are getting you feeling good in your own body today in mm. October of 2021. Mm. What a beautiful question. Thanks for asking me that. I, as someone who asks people lots of questions, both in the work that I do and also like on my podcast, it's very rare that people ask me questions that (laughs) are poignant, you know? So Mm -hmm. thank you. Um, mm, Pleasure. I'm feeling into pleasure as being a full body experience that feels really rich for me right now. Um, like I, in the past pleasure has been centrally located to like one part, you know, if I'm eating something good, it's like, Oh, it feels really good in my tongue. Or I feel, I feel the sensations of that in my mouth. Or if I'm having sex, you know, it's centrally located to my genitals. Um, and lately I've been playing with, what does it feel like to feel this pleasurable sensation. If I'm eating a piece of chocolate cake, like, can I feel pleasure in other parts of my body that may Mm. not be engaged? You know, um, like, what does it feel like for me to feel the pleasure of this chocolate cake in my fingertips or, Mm. um, in my thighs or yeah, like, or in my chest, you know? And then like, I'm also thinking about savoring and stretching that sensation of pleasure out from not just being like, okay, I ate the cake, the pleasure is done. But like, what does it feel like afterwards? Like after I eat the cake, like sometimes that sugar, I get that sugar rush. Like, oh, does that feel pleasurable in my body? Can I feel (laughs) the sugar in my bloodstream? What does that feel Mm -hmm. like? Um, Or even like thinking about the memory that I have of like, wow, I an hour ago, I ate chocolate cake. I wish I had that cake again. Like, I'm just, I'm really, I'm really interested in exploring pleasure 
and making it into almost like the spiritual experience, like something Mm -hmm. that sort of transports me both into my body and also, um, I don't know if it's outside of my body, but into just like different realms of being with my body, if that makes sense. So yeah, I've been, I've been really trying to feel into that. And in order to do that, I have to slow down. (laughs) I have to, I have to chew my food. I have to breathe, you know, um, that's something that I've also been inviting into my life a lot more lately is doing breath work and, Mm -hmm. and feeling into what my body feels like when it's fully oxygenated, you know, and how foreign of a feeling that can be. I remember the first time that I did breath work, I was like, why do I feel like dizzy, but also high. And also like I've taken psychedelics. That's really weird. (laughs) Um, and it's like, what a, what an interesting physical sensation that is to feel like my, all of my, my cells in my body are fully oxygenated. So yeah, there's, there's something, there's something about seeking, seeking pleasure and really savoring it, really allowing it to be what it is. And also like, can I, can I lengthen this pleasure out into every part of my body? You know? Yeah. Mm. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to keep thinking about that for a while. Yeah. It's interesting, right. To think about Mm -hmm. that. I mean, even as I'm saying it, I'm like, huh, what other, what other ways can I explore that? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really feeling, um, when you were talking about the chocolate cake, I was thinking about how, um, there are ideas that I have about what's pleasurable to me. And that means that there are ideas that I have about what's not pleasurable to me and that I'm dividing them. Mm -hmm. And like, I was curious about, yeah, kind of holding the chocolate cake metaphor within a larger day metaphor Mm -hmm. and kind of feeling like, oh, could this, you know, could this offering of chocolate cake to my experience be an offering to the whole day like can I receive this pleasure in a way that's going to allow me to like bring chocolate cake to my clients later in the afternoon and then share chocolate cake with with a partner or like bring chocolate cake into you know my writing or dream about chocolate cake later like you know how can this really like stimulate more chocolate cake in the world (laughs) <laughs> I love that. I love that. Now I'm, now I'm going to think about that too. I mean, really, you know, with this book, that's kind of what I'm asking for people to do with everything that they do. Um, mm-hmm. like just really thinking about, okay, if I can have this moment, this five minutes, 10 minutes of tuning into my body, tuning into the sensations of my body, um, thinking about myself as a sensual being, and not have that be an isolated event, but like something that hopefully they have linger throughout the rest of their day. Like I would love to see people not just think about and write about who they are as sensual beings, but to have that be an invitation that gets carried out into every act that they do. Like if I were to take a sip of water, how would I do that sensually, (laughs) you know, Mm, or mm. what sensuality can I bring into my work? How can yeah. I bring sensuality into the way that I drive to work? You know, yeah. um, I'm just, I'm really curious about that. And I don't, I don't even have the answers to those questions. Like I, I feel like sometimes I think in questions, but, um, but it's something that I want to explore for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What I hear you saying. And then when I think about a moment ago, when you spoke about sensuality as a spiritual practice, you know, I, 
I guess one of the ways that I would hear what you just said is as a practice of communion and relationality and reciprocity, which I think are, are our natural ways of being actually as human beings that we um, ideally live in communion and relationality right. and reciprocity and that the horrible travesties of the last definitely several hundred years and certainly several thousand years that have been wrought on humankind has been to separate us right. um, and make us non-relational and individualistic and hierarchical and competitive. And the, you know, the premise of like, could my life be a sensual life mm. is such a huge question because it's like, we're, none of us are here alone, right. just creating our soul, you know, masturbatory pleasures. Like that's actually impossible, even if we think that that's what we're able to do. And to really, you know, to be in pleasure for real is like, you know, we have to be here uplifting pleasure in one another. Mm-hmm. Because my pleasure isn't shit, you know, if I'm coming into contact with somebody else and they are not having a pleasure-filled moment, you know, right. like that's going to impact me probably pretty substantially. That's right. That might have to be my next book, to be honest. Like, how can we, okay, so we've, we've figured out and we've gotten to the root of who we are as sensual beings and what that, what our pleasure looks like actualized. How can we how can we bring that into the world, you know? And that's yeah. why I really appreciate Adrian Marie Brown's work of pleasure yeah. activism, because I feel like she talks so much about that. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really inspiring for me as well to think about pleasure for pleasure's sake, yes. And also pleasure for the liberation and um, connection of other people. And yeah. I, I don't, I don't quite know what that looks like yet, but I feel like if we start with ourselves first, if we begin nurturing and, and feeling that we deserve and, uh, we are valuable enough to prioritize our pleasure, maybe we will start to have ideas come through in terms of what that looks like, um, from a salt, not from a solitary experience, but from a communal experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, really also just wanted to follow up and give about Adrian Marie Brown and also to Audre Lorde that, you know, and you two talked about that in your episode and um, for essay uses of the erotic, I feel like mm. that the, the first time I was really kind of struck with that question of like, where, where does eroticism actually rest and like what is its potential was um in encountering that essay yeah it's so powerful um so I'm wondering if now if like as you're thinking forward are you what are you excited about you know what are you leaning into how are you where are you on your journey right now and like what are you opening up to as you move into this next phase Ooh, um well a new book is on the horizon um which is exciting. Great. Uh, like right after, actually this book wasn't even fully released yet. Um, like I didn't announce it yet. And I had some literary agents that are like, it's time for you to write your next book. We would like to help you with that. So um, I, I feel, and I, I so resonate with what you said about how, um, you know, you create something and then it's like, oh man, I should have said this or I should have, why didn't I, I mean, I'm still editing the book in my brain, even though <laughs> it's, it's out. Um, so I'm actually really excited about really diving deeper and 
refining, but also there's something about, I think kind of like lingering that I was mentioning, like lingering in, into that pleasure and like stretching it out that I feel that I didn't really get to do with this book because of the format. You know, the format was very much like a journal. You know, I didn't have a lot of space to, to write about my ethos and um, to give people more flowery and poetic um, diatribes about like how you should live your life or, you know, what, what does sensuality look like as a practice? And so I'm really interested next into um, feeling more into that, like diving deeper into this new book um, and continuing this, this thread that I'm following of decentralizing sex and, and sexuality mm. and mm. seeing how that is going to transform my work and mm. not even just the work that I do, but the relationships that I'm in. Um, I mean, I've, I've already started to feel that the relationship that I have with my partner, Jonathan is being, um, made that much more juicier because of my new, this new lens that I've picked up around like, okay, what if sex wasn't the only way that we could experience pleasure with each other? Mm -hmm. Um, and also like, what if our entire body was a pleasure center, you know, like, what mm -hmm. does it look like for us to be in space with each other with that knowledge? Um, I'm really excited about exploring those things and I get, I mean, I, I was actually thinking today because as, as we're recording, this is also, I think national coming out day or international yeah. coming out day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Happy I was, coming out day. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. <laughs> I, I was thinking today, like, oh my gosh, what other things could I possibly come out as? <laughs> Cause I always think like there's, okay, I've, I've done the thing, you know, I came out as, as queer, uh, in some ways I feel like I came out as black, like that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. I've come out as, um, a sexuality professional, a sex educator as non-binary. I mean, I'm like, what else could I possibly come out as? So I'm also thinking mm -hmm. about that, you know, like what other, what other things am I going to shift and shake up, you know, what other new identities or, or, um, embodiments am I going to, to bring into my life? Uh, in 2022, because I feel like the work that I'm doing now is setting a really sturdy foundation for yeah. other rebirths and reclamations to happen. So I'm really mm. excited about mm. the future. Yeah. Wow. Oh, thank you so much for all of that. I'm excited about the future that you're in and to be, you know, next, next to you and in orbit with you in this future. Yeah. And um, I feel like everything that you just said, I just was marveling at your chart that your sun is exactly square to Uranus and mm. um, Uranus and Sagittarius is a little bit of a generational placement, which I'm part of too. I was born a couple of years earlier than you. And so we're in a, we're in a, um, you know, kind of cohort of people that I think are pretty excited about self-realization and awakening yes. of the self. And yeah, this, this idea of like coming out, I was thinking, oh, I hope everyone is still coming out when they're in their eighties and nineties. Yes. Like, you know, I hope that this could, just gets to continue to be your life path of like coming out all the time and yeah. being like, oh, and I'm this too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want that for everyone. You know, yeah. like I want 
for us all to be curious about the many transformations that we're going to go through and the many iterations of our beings that we're going to go through. And, you know, I always say in my work, like your sex education doesn't stop when, you know, you're this age, like I'm hoping that you will continually sexually evolve or evolve like, um, as you grow older and that yeah. when you're 65, you're still going to be educating yourself. Um, yeah. and, and likewise with all these other, these other pieces, um, I hope that I'm still coming out at, at 65, you know? Um, and I hope that I'm still coming out at, at 85. I have no idea what that would look like. I'm like, what else could I possibly come out <laughs> as? But I mean, who knows? I guess it's part of the journey. <laughs> You're here to surprise yourself. You know? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> That's what your life is about. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much, Evian. It has been a real pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And thank you so much for the work that you do. I've, I felt mm -hmm. so nourished and nurtured by the ways that you show up in the world and, um, this, this just profound way of looking at astrology and as something that is not just like up in the sky, but it's something that we can bring down into our bodies. I've been, I've been really inspired by the work that you do and mm. um, it's helped me come into myself in really beautiful ways. So thank you so much Aww. for being a teacher to me. Thank well. you. Thank you. I've received. Um, well, I'll be sharing your website and Instagram links in the show notes. People can find you at evianwhitney.com and at evianwhitney on Instagram or evian.whitney. Um, you're also on Twitter. I'm seeing, do you tweet? <laughs> Are you a tweeter? <laughs> I try not to be, I feel like, I, I feel like Twitter is, um, a social media platform that is really dangerous for me, especially mm. because of what we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I have this, this legacy of being like, I don't have a fully formed thought, but let me <laughs> tell it to 2000 strangers that I don't know. So I temper, I temper my, my Twitter usage. I, I really just, if I have a fully formed thought, that's where I'll go, but okay. I, I don't use it that often. Okay. Okay. So people can find you on Instagram. Also, they can follow your podcast sensual.self. Is there anywhere else you want to let folks know to find you or to look for you? Um, I mean, they can definitely check out my book, Sensual Self. Um, I think by the time that this airs, yes. it'll be out into the world, which will be really exciting. Um, and yeah, you should be able to find it at any bookstore. Great. Great. All right. Well, I look forward to our next conversation and yeah, until then. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop recording now. For more information on Evian, go to evianwhitney.com and follow them on Instagram at evion.whitney. You can also find these links in the show notes. I also want to give a plug to Embodied Astrology's research resident in 2022, Katie Henderson, who in ways very different than Evion is also doing some amazing work around sex, sensuality, and eroticism. Katie just released several episodes of erotic storytelling on their podcast, Erotic Embodiment, and you can also find that link in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and networks. You can find more guest episodes at embodiedastrology.com in the listen section. Get free monthly horoscopes and stay tuned in with the earth, skies, and planets by signing up for one of the Embodied Astrology membership tiers. Find more information at embodiedastrology.com forward slash join.